Unorthodox with the Angry Behavior Analyst is a relief valve for stifled thoughts, theories, and opinions related to social science. Unorthodox is unfiltered, uncensored, and most importantly, uncancelable. The Angry Behavior Analyst is all triggers, no warnings. Imagine a world in which we never had to leave our house. Our every physical or emotional ailment could be really quickly addressed, researched, brought up on Google, WebMD within milliseconds, completely eliminating the need for a visit to the doctor, a mental health professional, a clinician. Therapy could essentially happen within our own home, within our own mind even. The terrifying reality of this is that it's not, in fact, something we have to imagine. It's something that we actually lived throughout the entire pandemic and something that we continue to live in terms of how we address mental illness and our mental health in general. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, or the DSM-5, feels like it's something of the past, and it is now being overtaken by none other than TikTok. TikTok has taken over the, DM- the DSM-5, and it is now probably the most coveted source of mental health information. For those of us that are unfamiliar with the DSM-5, the DSM-5 was developed as a means of laying out really specific criteria that were meant to help people essentially line up their symptoms to determine if they did in fact qualify as having a specific mental illness or disorder or disability. The DSM-5 is, a, is the gold standard that many medical and psychological professionals still use to diagnose individuals across a wide array of mental health. But the DSM has also fallen victim to a concept called concept creep. Concept creep happens when a very diluted version of the actual fact or the actual reality helps to widen the net of what falls under a certain concept. Let's use the example of trauma. Trauma in the DSM often states highly aversive, oftentimes emotional and painful events that cause long-term adverse mental health effects. Nowadays, instead of only referring to things like, as mentioned in previous podcasts, dismemberment or crime, war, terrorism, concept creep has taken over and things like becoming offended, getting our feelings hurt, experiencing distress. These are all things that are also falling under the umbrella of trauma. While we can't entirely blame social media for 100% of concept creep, it's worth pointing out that TikTok has not only become, as mentioned, a highly reputable source of mental health information, but it's become the most widely used social media app, outperforming even its most popular competitor, Instagram. By a, a pretty large margin. They're they're really not even close if you look at the amount of downloads and the amount of users, mostly because TikTok 
lacks a lot of captions and long descriptions and relies entirely on videos that are about, on average, 16 seconds in length. Because so many young people, and when I say young people, I mean teenagers and young young individuals in their early 20s that are just kind of graduating out of being a teenager, they inhabit most of the users on TikTok. Within TikTok, it seemed to start off as a dance platform. We saw a lot of actual very talented dancers on TikTok. And then we saw the silly dances with the almost seamless choreography of kind of these bizarre, weird soundtracks and lip syncing or awful attempts at lip syncing or people recording themselves lip syncing a song. It seemed to be a platform where all of our karaoke dreams or our five-year-old dreams of wanting to be an actor in Hollywood were now reimagined in adulthood. (laughs) But what has also taken over the popularity of dance videos and lip syncing videos has been mental health trends. And because of the age of the majority of people on TikTok, which are those teenagers, they are highly susceptible to being persuaded, suggested, and swayed towards believing that they actually have something clinically wrong with them. And this goes along with the idea of concept creep, where all of these everyday experiences that absolutely may be uncomfortable are now being considered symptoms of more serious disorders, which we'll get into the specifics of as we carry on throughout the episode here. TikTok and other social media outlets are places where people can connect, including myself. I would be remiss if I said that social media didn't serve a really wonderful purpose for for business purposes, for personal purposes, and as a means of reconnecting with people that we may have lost touch with or maintaining connections with people that we can't very often see in person, maybe because of geographical reasons. It has also done wonders for my business. I have not only received a a massive increase in traffic to, to both of my businesses, but I've found potential and current clients through social media. So it's not accurate to say that one social media is the cause of everything that is horrendous in the world. And two, that we should get rid of it. But it's important to note that the dangers of it are beginning to outweigh the positives of it, specifically because of the mental health trends and misinformation, as well as the censorship of actual accurate information. With this mental health trend taking over TikTok, we've seen a wave of individuals hashtagging videos of themselves crying or in the middle of what appears to be this mental breakdown or a nervous breakdown or or whatever they feel comfortable classifying it as, and hashtagging it with the caption, hashtag borderline personality disorder, or hashtag Tourette's, hashtag dissociative identity disorder, hashtag actually autistic. When we hashtag things, that's a way of connecting to other people that use a similar hashtag. So 
in my day when I was a child, when we had to actually call the home of another individual and go through the excruciating process of saying, hi, Mrs. Smith, is Johnny home? And waiting for a response. That is also a thing of the past along with the DSM. We now have the woke DSM, which we can call TikTok, and we now no longer have to make phone calls. We could simply make a hashtag, a popular hashtag, knowing that it will draw us into a massive group of people that are also legitimately suffering the same discomfort that we are or that are claiming to suffer the same discomfort that we are. The posts that include hashtags like this, the posts that are riddled with mental health buzzwords and mental health trends or neurological trends or movement trends are viewed millions, probably billions of times often, once again, by angsty teenagers who are either just beginning puberty or are in the throes of quick mood swings and rapid emotional down and up swings that by design drive their parents insane. Being a teen is so, so, so difficult. It's an incredibly important time to figure out who we are and where we stand amongst a social group. It's a wonderful time of life where it proves to be the prime age to learn emotional regulation and effective forms of communication. But it's also a very tricky time for teenagers that are living as teens in 2022 for about a million and one reasons. One of them being TikTok. (laughs) One of them being the continued use of online communication replacing in-person communication. We all felt a lack of connection during the pandemic. We were all forced into our own homes like caged animals. We were forced to use Zoom, Google Chat, email, and and texting and Skype and what have you to maintain connection with other people. And that proved to, I hate to call it a blessing in disguise because it, it really wasn't, but it proved to be the ultimate social experiment of a lifetime that showed us just how important human connection and longing and belonging is to sustain a uh, a healthy mental homeostasis if you will we found ourselves growing even more and more isolated obviously what we heard from the cdc was changed what felt like by the hour and Alongside the CDC recommendations were all of the mental health trends and all of the language swaps that were seemingly changing by the hour, which led to even more teenagers questioning where they fell on a social spectrum or a mental health spectrum. We know, I hope we know as adults, (laughs) that TikTok is about as reliable as a horoscope or as a fortune cookie, which begs the question, why are we taking this so seriously? And it's not only teenagers that are taking it seriously. It's adults. It's adults that are 
taking these interpretations of mental health or their teenagers who adopt a mental illness and they're taking it as fact. Clinicians are even beginning to take it as fact, as are educators, which makes this a whole new form of social peer contagion that is just as powerful as COVID in some ways, but in very different social ways. The more exposure we have to TikTok, the more exposure we have to, you guessed it, people. The more exposure we have to people, the more exposure we have to ideas. When we're inundated with ideas, especially about our mental health and where we might stand using these wide, incredibly broad definitions of what mental illness means, it's very easy for mentally fragile people or emotionally unstable or semi-unstable individuals to believe that they might actually be suffering something more serious than simple distress or simple discomfort, especially in a time like COVID when a lot of us found ourselves incredibly isolated. It can feel like a form of connection to share a diagnosis or share a really difficult experience with other people. And I want to make sure I point out too, that while I do believe a lot of what occurs on social media and TikTok is more an attempt at attention seeking from other adults. I think it's equally important to point out that I believe a tremendous amount of teenagers are in distress. There's no doubting that teenagers are in distress. They're reporting feelings of anxiety, depression, and loneliness more so now in 2022 than any previous point in time, which is interesting because we have all of these medical, technological, and clinical outlets at our fingertips. We have more now in present day than we've ever had before, and we have more means of addressing social distress and emotional discomfort now than we've ever had, which makes you wonder what is causing such high levels of depression and something called languishing, which is kind of this limbo combination of loneliness and angst. Again, we can't blame it entirely on TikTok, but when we use TikTok as a mental health resource versus something that's just a fun way to connect with people, we find ourselves grandstanding gaining social clout, and not making any sort of attempt to actually get treatment so that we could alleviate some of these symptoms. In true psychological fashion, if we're experiencing high levels of depression or anxiety or what have you, we would go see a mental health practitioner or a psychologist or a psychiatrist because we want to alleviate these symptoms. Baked into the name mental health disorder or mental illness, it implies that it is inherently negative because it has adverse effects on our life. It's not negative because we're discriminating or stigmatizing people with mental illness, but it's more so to say that having or being afflicted by one of these things does not lead to better outcomes. It leads to more challenges and it leads to more negative feelings that could last an incredibly long time if not treated appropriately. TikTok, goes without saying, is not an appropriate form 
of treating an illness. But TikTok also doesn't see an illness as something that is a disability. It doesn't see something like a mental health disorder, oftentimes very severe ones like schizophrenia or PTSD or major depressive disorder. It often doesn't see them as things that need medical treatment, but rather things that just need to be shared with a community, which really takes away from the entire purpose of therapy itself. Let's rewind to the pandemic just for a short instance. I don't want to trigger too many people. In 2020, in 2020 alone, one in five adults in just America claimed that they lived with mental illness. I don't know if you could guess how many million people that is, but I'm just going to tell you that is 53 million people only in the United States of America that claimed during the pandemic they were suffering with mental illness. Similar to the statistics about depression and anxiety and loneliness rising in teenagers, mental illness has seen almost a 400% increase in individuals, adults in America. This goes hand in hand with a lot of crazes having to do with self-diagnosing autism, self-diagnosing ourselves with gender dysphoria or, or trans or being transgendered. Um, th- some of the most prominent movements on TikTok have been the transgender movement and the neurodiversity movement, as well as a lot of people claiming ADHD. Those seem to be the top three right now that people find some sort of social refuge in. And that's what makes it so difficult about determining or discerning what the overall goal is for the activists within these movements. Going back to the the trans and gender craze, because it is so prominent, more so than any other disorder in history at this point in time, individuals, specifically teenage girls, in mobs and clumps are abruptly coming out as trans to their social media following, their family, their schools with new names, new preferred gender pronouns, and asking that those within their circle accept and affirm them immediately. And a lot of this comes from what they see on TikTok. The mental health influencers, I'm doing air quotes right now for influencers, Define mental illness and mental disorders so broadly, I mentioned this earlier, it is so incredibly broad that any any behavior you engage in, any thought that you think, any feeling that you feel could fall under some form of a disorder according to these mental health influencers on TikTok, which makes it such a dangerous platform because of how persuasive it could be because of the large communities that seem to embrace those with similar disabilities, whether those be self-diagnosed or professionally diagnosed. But the truth about mental health influencers on social media is that, number one, they're not any sort of clinician. They're not any sort of professional. They're simply peddling really poor advice stark misinformation and medical information that is completely, completely false. 
it's more about making pseudo information appear acceptable and appear as something socially approved than putting the true statistics out there, which would completely nullify a lot of the arguments and principles that these movements have. Admittedly, social media does have a wealth of knowledge. I myself have learned an incredible amount on social media, as much as I may hate to admit that I've learned things from Instagram or I don't have TikTok. God, thank, thank God I don't have TikTok. But on Instagram and Facebook alone, there are a lot of helpful posts out there. There's a lot of great connections to articles through LinkedIn. That's a great source for information. And it's also incredibly accessible. It's free. It's open to anybody. We, we get that instant gratification of information that we're seeking. So in that sense, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, what have you, can serve as almost these digital endless encyclopedias that harvest more information than any physical copy of an encyclopedia could. It feels even better than Google which has a lot to do with the algorithm, which we'll get to in a second, as it's built into the system. Clinicians have also harnessed social media because they feel that it's an important way for them to bring more nuance to therapy and psychology. Nuance is important. The gray area that we don't see is why part of why we live in such a polarized society as we do now, where everything is black and white, up is up and down is down. Well, now people could say up is down and down is up. But either way, we have a really hard time with those in the middle facts. So with mental health professionals and clinicians and medical professionals taking to social media to attempt to shed some light on nuance, it's helpful in that it tries to mitigate all of the poor information out there, but unfortunately, it doesn't happen frequently enough to make people turn their eyes, uh, to avert their eyes from the more popular types of movements, specifically because of the algorithm. The algorithm is built to show you exactly things that you want to see crazy like the government on how closely it has an eye on what you do and how you behave, it seems to know everything that you love, everything you're interested in, and everything that you would want to see, and it compiles it all into this large feed where you have hundreds of posts that are made what feels like specifically for you. TikTok literally has a for you page. And they compile this for you page based on posts that you have liked, things you've commented on, and how many times you view specific topics. It even looks at buzzwords that you yourself use and that others use who you often frequent within this digital space. I'm not sure that the attempt at showing nuance or shedding light on all of these gray areas within psychology and 
related human service field. I hate to say that it's for not because it is incredibly important, but it needs to become just as powerful and just as frequent as those uh, who are activists within the the uh, mental health and mental illness or neurological disorder movements to be able to make a difference. Because TikTok and Instagram, they're reactive platforms. They're not meant for nuance. They're not built for nuance. They are built so that people can respond in ways that they never would respond in person. They could respond immediately, whereas in person, we often take time to process and pause and respond appropriately. There's not a lot of responding on social media. It's more about reacting. Let's look at the statistics of mental illness, as I feel that looking at the true percentages and the very low amounts of individuals afflicted by mental illness, I think that'll shed some light on the truest reality of disability for some people and the current reality of the thousands upon thousands that believe they are afflicted by the same disorder. We're going to start with autism spectrum disorder. One in 44 children has been identified as having autism, which makes for about 1% of the global population. That is an incredibly, incredibly low number. For those of us that are behavior analysts or social workers or psychotherapists that work with the autism population listening, it can feel like a lot more than 1% because We've seen three-year wait lists for autistic individuals trying to get into treatment. Which goes on to my next point. As of 2020, in the pandemic, 2.2% of people just in America were diagnosed as being somewhere on the spectrum. So this number more than doubled just in America, not even globally. Part of it would possibly be due to the fact that We've made people more aware of early precursor signs of autism. Maybe there are uh, more accessible means of having autism diagnosed. Maybe we just have a better grasp on psychology and related professions itself to where we could notice things earlier on compared to previous generations. That's a fair argument and that's a fair point to which I would agree in a lot of ways. There are things I know now that I would have never known 10 years ago and I wouldn't even have known to look out for 10 years ago. So it's fair to say that as we evolve medically and clinically, of course, there opens the uh, the door to people who start realizing that there may actually be something wrong that they only consider to be something a bit off, if you will. But there's also the possibility that this is a peer contagion because we see a lot of adults now either self-diagnosing themselves with autism or seemingly receiving some sort of official diagnosis in later, later, later adulthood. So I'm not really referring to the early 20s. I'm referring to 30s, 40s, and even 50s when these people have 
already graduated with college degrees. They have their careers. Some of them have flourishing businesses. They have friendships, families, romantic relationships, marriages, and children. It kind of makes you wonder what exactly would make someone who has all of these things seek out a diagnosis. Some people struggle socially. And while that is a hallmark symptom of autism, that doesn't make someone who struggles socially autistic. If that were the case, if we go back to the very beginning of this episode when I first brought up concept creep, that would make it seem like highly introverted people possibly could diagnose themselves as autistic. Or woke practitioners that are buying into these ideologies could diagnose introverted people as having autism because they claim that they struggle with small talk. Small talk is annoying for most people. It's awkward. It's weird. There's only so many comments you can make about the weather or what you did over the weekend. How many of us purposely wait in our car or stand back a little further to avoid that annoying hollow, almost meaningless small talk that we might have to engage in with a coworker. I've done it before. I'm sure we all have to a degree. We've probably dodged phone calls in a lot of ways because some social situations are awkward. That's not something that is only specific to people with autism. It's hard to determine if these anecdotes about feeling off their entire life and just coming to now and realizing they have autism at 40 years old is legitimate. Um, you would think that autism for many, for the majority of people who have an autism spectrum disorder, uh, it's between the moderate and the severe. And a lot of these people require lifelong assistance and those who can recount their life experience and, lead seemingly successful lives, you have to wonder what would make them seek out a diagnosis in later life other than wanting to be part of a group like a neurodiversity movement. Moving on, we have borderline personality disorder. This is incredibly, incredibly rare. 1.4% of people are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So, even less than autism, yet we're seeing hundreds of thousands of very young individuals who likely diagnose themselves with a disorder because of what they see on TikTok. Things like mood swings, which every teenager has, are now considered symptoms of borderline personality disorder, similar to multiple personality or dissociative identity, which has also swept the landscape of TikTok. We see a lot of young people, specifically almost 100% females, female teenagers, that switch between alter egos while they're recording themselves in their car or in their home. And they switch between 10 personalities at a time with different accents, different voice tones. Some of them even purposely change their makeup and Again, it's difficult to discern what is performative and what is actually real to these people. Because again, there's no doubt that they're under a tremendous amount of stress and they're going through marked increases 
in depression and anxiety. So we can't ignore these facts and we can't ignore the fact that a lot of these very real symptoms of extreme distress manifest in strange ways, such as dissociative identity disorder. We mentioned ADHD being very popular. ADHD, autism, Tourette's, and gender dysphoria right now seem to be the most popular diagnoses on TikTok. Starting with ADHD, it's very common. I feel like almost every little boy under the age of 10 has ADHD these days and is on a hefty dose of either Ritalin or Adderall to mitigate the symptoms. But ADHD is exactly what it sounds like. It's difficulty maintaining attention because of hyperactive behavior that can oftentimes be disruptive. Which begs the question, why are so many adults, specifically female adults, claiming to have ADHD? Because in adulthood, the overall occurrence of ADHD is 4.4%, with the prevalence amongst males being over 2% of that of that for so it, it's it's 2% above females that have been diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood, which I find incredibly interesting because on Instagram and TikTok, you see everyday experiences like looking at your phone five minutes into a movie or losing track of time, struggling with organization, trying to multitask or senses of feeling overwhelmed. These are all things that ADHD quote unquote coaches are claiming to be signs of ADHD. Yet another example of concept creep, we've gone from hyperactivity and immense amounts of distraction and loss of focus that lead to lessened learning. We're now saying that if you can't watch the Dahmer series all the way through on Netflix without checking your phone or losing focus, that may be a sign that you have ADHD, which is completely inaccurate because what their coaches are doing now is they are profiting off of people's insecurities and they are scamming people because of this huge rise in the belief that everybody has some disorder of some kind. Merrill mentioned in a previous podcast that the new baseline will be a disorder. We're not even going to be or use neurotypical uh, or forbid, God forbid I say normal as the baseline anymore. Everybody being disordered in some way will be the new baseline. I'm going to tell you a story about Tourette's and the rise in Tourette's. I'm going to start off by saying that boys are three times more likely than girls to be diagnosed with Tourette's and that 0.6% of children are diagnosed with Tourette's. So it's a very, again, very rare disorder. On TikTok in months prior was a trend in which a massive hundreds of teenage girls began recording themselves just talking about whatever they were talking about, and very intermittently and randomly blurting out the word beans. They all got this verbal tick after watching one individual 
who either self-diagnosed themselves with Tourette's or truly has diagnosed, uh, truly has Tourette's. They watched a video of this person trying to have a conversation and blurting out the word beans with seemingly no control. My first thought upon hearing this was, well, they're obviously faking it because they saw all of the social benefits that blurting out beans can have. You could put a hashtag of Tourette's, you could be part of a Tourette support group, all of a sudden you're neurodivergent, and then all of your accommodations and special treatment just lands at your doorstep from there. That was my first thought. In doing a little bit more research and always attempting to find holes in my own argument and biases in my own thinking, I spoke to a few clinical psychologists who actually believe that it is not performative. They believe that because of such extensive exposure to these sorts of tics, stating that teens now spend seven to nine hours on social media, if you expose yourself enough to something and you're already in an emotionally and mentally fragile state, it's very easy for symptoms to manifest, even if you don't have the actual diagnosis. So while they didn't say that they believe 100% of these girls were lacking control over blurting out the word beans, they were saying that a good amount of them were under enough distress, exposed to enough social media that they were experiencing these true symptoms of blurting this word out while they were trying to have conversations with people. They also treated these Tourette's-like symptoms or these verbal tics in all of these teenage girls by removing them from social media for two consecutive weeks. And what do you know? A hundred percent of them completely stopped engaging in the verbal tick of yelling out the word beans. So just as quickly as they seem to have adopted or involuntarily manifested Tourette's, they just as quickly erased it all through the use of refraining from exposure to social media. This isn't to say that we should get rid of social media entirely, but for young people, it begs the uh, the question and the proposal that we perhaps need to start rethinking the regulations around who's allowed to engage with TikTok and social media. Probably the most controversial one is the gender dysphoria and transgender argument, which we'll go over briefly mostly because this is an entire episode in and of itself. But for the sake of looking at mental health trends and how social media plays a huge role, I think this is information that's often hidden because it's very inconvenient for parts of the movement. Gender dysphoria is the most rare out of any of the disorders that I've discussed so far. You probably wouldn't even guess how low it is, so I'm just going to tell you. 0.005% of males are diagnosed with gender dysphoria, and it's even lower for females. 0.002% of females are diagnosed with gender dysphoria. That means that all of us likely never went to high school with anybody that had gender dysphoria, and some of us probably never even went to college with somebody that had gender dysphoria. That's how incredibly rare it is. 
And I'm going to give you a really quick definition of what gender dysphoria is. It is the extreme discomfort, aversion, or even loathing of one's biological sex or the feeling that they're in the wrong body due to their biological sex. So a male that loathes their genitalia because they feel like they should be a woman or a female that loathes her genitalia because she feels like she belongs in a man's body. These are very typical signs of gender dysphoria that start in childhood. What we're seeing with rapid onset gender dysphoria as partially due to these TikTok diagnoses is a majority of the individuals claiming to be trans are women, which is completely contrary to the history that exists that those diagnosed with gender dysphoria are almost 100% male. So there's that piece. The other piece to take into account is that gender dysphoria often occurs all the way through childhood and even into adulthood for people that go on to be transgender, which used to be called transsexual. So we've seen a complete 180 here. These young girls, teenage or teenagers that are female claiming to be trans, their parents say they have no history of any sort of gender dysphoria. Some of them might've been tomboys. I know I was, but I never questioned that I was a girl and nobody ever suggested that I was anything other than a girl. And that's a major difference between now and, and, you know, 20, 25 years ago when I was a, a young girl in school is because teenagers are so suggestible because they're so susceptible to being swayed in a certain way that is socially popular they have almost become these little social and political pawns in this gender movement. There's been a documented 4,000% increase in teenagers, specifically female and young adult females who diagnose themselves as trans with absolutely no history of having any sort of disordered thoughts. This is a terrifying statistic. All of them are terrifying statistics. Looking at the rarity of these disorders and comparing it to the hundreds upon thousands of people that are adopting them as their own without any sort of medical guidance or true diagnosis from someone that's capable of diagnosing these things leads to now adults and affirming therapists and teachers that are sitting by with a rubber stamp ready to approve and validate and affirm, and also telling parents that they need to do the same. Self-diagnosing, obviously, aside from the fact that it's become a form of climbing up a social ladder and gaining social status, it's also this really powerful peer bubonic emotional plague that appeals to people who are one experiencing true moderate to severe distress of some kind and two feelings of loneliness and feeling as if they don't fit into a friend group within their school. That's one of the most important pieces to focus on is that children now, and when I say children, I mean all ages 
from 18 down to preschool, but specifically teenagers, they're not partying anymore. They're not rebelling anymore. And I'm not saying this from my own opinion. This was actually studied along with the professor's and psychologists that worked with a lot of individuals who adopted these uh, these mental diagnoses, there has been a massive decline, not only in the normal teenage behavior of breaking rules, sneaking out, experimenting with drugs and alcohol, and driving recklessly, but teenagers are no longer even spending time with each other in person. They are spending seven to nine hours a day on their phones, on social media. Teenage girls oftentimes in high school are reporting, I I think, I believe the statistic was around between 60 and 70% reported that they've never even kissed another boy. They've never even felt feelings for not even just a boy, a girl, whatever sex you are attracted to, that they've never even felt romantic feelings. So, We have these teenagers that their chronological age, let's say, might be 16, but mentally and emotionally, they appear to be more as if they're 10. And this was the the main thread within the book Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier, which I have suggested to probably 50 of you already, is the parents stating that they just cannot believe their child's age compared to how they behave and how they respond. And we we saw this during the pandemic with kids when they went back to school, teachers made a lot of comments saying that they appear to be two to three grades behind academically. But more importantly, we're seeing the same thing socially and emotionally. When teenagers are in their rooms, staring down at their phone, exposing themselves to a lot of people who have bought into this mental health craze, they're losing out on opportunities to practice emotional regulation, self-control, self-awareness, and conversational skills. Communication in adults has already deteriorated rapidly. And we've had a lot of us the experience of communicating with others before social media was became so pervasive. Imagine being a teenager now that has no idea how to connect with another individual is in high school and can count on one hand the amount of times they've actually left the house. And they feel that their closest friend group are strangers that share a true or a pseudo diagnosis. It is incredibly, incredibly alarming. And it's something that we as clinicians, regardless of what discipline we belong to, need to be mindful of. So while we're sitting here arguing over terminological differences and word swaps and things to say instead of, hey guys or hey girls, there are teenagers that are in immense distress that have the emotional capabilities of nine and 10 year olds that have no idea how to manage themselves that are also being told by educators that their parents need to simply affirm and validate everything that they feel. Otherwise they may go on to self harm and even commit suicide. That is what medical practice is becoming now. I'm not even talking about educators. I'm not even talking about non-clinicians. I'm talking about how even medical and psychological professions have adopted this woke ideology that 
you know what? The teen said it and they know themselves best. An individual that takes to TikTok to figure out why they're groggy in the morning and decides that they might be transgender or autistic or have ADHD, let's just believe them. It's difficult, frustrating, and sometimes, quite honestly, seemingly impossible to tell what activists within all of these movements want out of all of this, other than repeated demands for special treatment under the guise of accommodations or affirmation without any questions because questions are apparently seen as violence or simply wanting a free pass. But affirmation and validation are not therapy. They're hollow dopamine boosts at best. They feel incredibly good right away, but they do nothing long-term. Online communication, online sources, even if they are chock full of accurate information, they do not replace in-person communication. At the end of the day, we cannot rely on other people to behave in certain ways or respond to us in other ways. We can't outsource responsibility to other people when we have our problems of our own that we have to take responsibility for. But with enough persistence, with enough courage, with enough bravery to be disliked as a practitioner, I am confident that we can swing the pendulum back to a place of intellectual grit and critical thought and more tolerant, resilient individuals. Until next time, friends. (laughs) 